0: Good evening, world, and welcome to another episode of A24 on the Rocks, your destination for discussions and in-depth reviews on every single movie in the A24 library, in chronological order. That's right, there are currently 142 movies in this impressive collection, and we are reviewing every single one of them. I am your host, Kevin K. Connachek, and I am so happy that you have decided to join us tonight. Welcome, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to our review of the 55th movie in our A24 completion journey. On this episode, we are going to review the 2017 psychological thriller film, Woodshock, starring Kirsten Dunst, Joe Cole, and P. Lou But before we get to the show, I need to introduce my co-hosts and co-hosts. Cohorts? Cohorts. Yeah, that's what we're going to go with. Cohorts and co-hosts. Gentlemen, welcome. Tell the
1: people who you are and what you are drinking. Hey, I'm Eric, uh, and I'm drinking a Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea rye. Uh, Cole has raved about it so much that my wife, Kelly, who is not here tonight because she wanted to take a one film break uh, from the A24 reviews. Cole raved about it so much, she wanted to get this for me, and it is quite good. I enjoy it a ton. Cole, what are you drinking? Kelly is a great gift giver. I am drinking uh, mm-hmm. Red Breast 12-Year,
2: going with a nice classic... Uh, Irish whiskey, and uh, I'm currently located in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm on spring break from Alaska, uh, (laughs) hanging out, and uh, I am uh, excited to talk about Kirsten Dunn's resurgence.
0: Yes. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. That's what we're here for. Uh, And to round us out, to much to nobody's surprise... I also have a glass of whiskey in my hand. That's right, we are three Ooh. for three on whiskey tonight, which is pretty great. I'm drinking some Jack Daniels Bonded Rye. Um, It's smooth and delicious, 100 proof, and only like $35 off the shelf. What so makes it bonded? go get it. It's great. Um, bonded means that it was officially um, cured and uh, created in a government bonded facility, means hmm. regulated by the state of Tennessee. Uh, when uh, it was yeah. aged, so it follows all of the strict mm. regulations. Take all the fun of out of it. That state.
1: Well, Tennessee whiskey is made in a very certain way, right? Like they, I, uh, yeah, Cole might know, but I just saw watched this YouTube video of a sommelier explaining like the difference between. How, you know, how they make bourbon and how you make Tennessee whiskey. I need to rewatch it because I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway. It's all about the, the way it's
0: built with the corn and the wheat and the mashes yeah. and, and all the different percentages and the barrels that it's aged in. Like bourbon has to be in white oak and a bunch of other. Jack Daniels, stuff Daniels is made
2: with a uh, spring fed water from a cave, which is part of its yeah. secret.
0: And it has to be super specific to be able to call mm-hmm. Jack Daniels and. Et cetera, et cetera, But I'm not drinking old number seven because that shit just makes me want to fight. <laughs> so we're drinking the rye instead, which is good because I don't really want to fight anybody right now. But as Eric alluded to, unfortunately, Ms. Kelly will not be joining us this evening. I do have it on good authority that she is uh, busy saving the world. It's a tough job, but someone's got to do it, so we're going to have to soldier on. As a quick aside, though, before we get started, a warning to our listeners, this episode does contain references and discussions related to suicide. Let's dive right into it. As I mentioned in the opener, we are reviewing Woodshock. This piece is a psychological drama film and was released in 2017. Directed by Kate and Laura Molevi, the film is most known for its atmospheric and dreamlike quality, as well as its unique cinematic approach, while using double exposure and some other artistic choices by its directors. First things first, though, gentlemen, have either of you seen this movie before watching it for this episode? No. No.
2: I honestly hadn't even no. heard of it before. Yeah, I <laughs> it didn't I'd, cross
1: your mind. I'd only heard it of it looking at this looking list a million it. times. Uh, and I look, I saw Kirsten Dunst started it. So I'm like, I huh, wonder, wonder how this is going to be. And I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes reviews. And I mean, I don't go fully by Rotten Tomatoes all the time, but uh, it is poorly reviewed in Rotten Tomatoes. So it definitely started me out uh, in a negative headspace.
0: Yeah. Cole, did you uh, know this movie was going to be "quote unquote" bad before you started Um, it?
2: I didn't know it was going to be bad until because you know sometimes a twenty four you have uh, a nice little like kind of hidden gem, but uh, you know usually I Google to see where I can stream it from, and when you Google it, it immediately pulls up like IMDb, Rotten Tomato, and all the scores, and they were all not uh, not good. So I was uh, in. I was interested to see what what could possibly go on with this film. So,
0: um, I think it's an interesting discussion to be had, though, because so many of these A24 movies, we've talked about how this trailer or reading or doing something ahead of time does change your perspective of the film. But when it's this negatively reviewed, I mean, 26%, I think, is the official score on Rotten Tomatoes. It certainly will affect your opinion Regardless, So for me, uh, Eric and I were talking ahead of time of this episode. We're like, we all got to sneak up another movie in here real quick before we get to the Florida story. Uh, Florida Project. uh, Florida Project. Anyway, we had to get this one in real quick because it was not as well reviewed. And it was like, ah, we just got to make sure we get out of the way. I don't want us to skip it because you got to for the completion aspect. But yeah, to answer my own question, when I do know that a movie is going to be less than stellar starting out, I think my watching experience is not as great. So I probably should stop doing that to just like watch it without anybody telling me anything about it.
1: I I like to think I give every film a chance, but uh, if, yeah, if it has like <laughs> less than 50% in Rotten Tomatoes, I do think like, yeah, I go in being like, it's, okay, a lot of people hated this movie. So uh, then I start to pick out like, okay, I could see why people would dislike this, like that right there, that particular scene right there that just either didn't make any sense or was poorly done. And, then it, it just piles and piles and, like and piles. my
2: my opinion, whenever I see, usually like if it's below fifty percent, yeah, it's it's hard to get below fifty percent unless it truly is special. <laughs> and uh, I think whenever I see something like that, like this film, I go into it trying to have an open mind. But my open mind, like time frame, is very small. It's it's much smaller than most films that we watch, right? Like th- if if it has a bad review, it has to come out hard or interesting or do something that makes that kind of pulls me in um and leading into that this movie did not do that (laughs) (laughs) and i think it's
0: sometimes interesting when you think about an a24 movie because these are so artistic right they're so sometimes so out of left field that what makes some of them really really special is because they're so completely different but then you have a film that almost tries too hard like this one does to be that artsy fartsy indie film that was trying to be deeper than it really was. And I think that's what comes out on the other side, but I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think a 24 does have that trap. I think associated with it sometimes is that a movie it's okay to be mm-hmm. weird because it's an a 24.
2: You get some, but, you get definitely a lot more leeway you know, being in the a 24 catalog for pushing some weird boundaries or, or doing unique things that uh, I think, you know, have have resulted in some very cool new spins in like cinematography and like sound design or set design or or even storytelling. And I think that's what makes A twenty four special as a catalog. So you always got to give it uh you know little little credit where it's due. But not not every film can be a winner. Yeah,
0: and it's not yeah. like none of us turned it off. We finished the film, yeah. so they got that going for it. But let's jump into it, right? So we got an opening. So the film opens in the midst of a giant redwood forest, and the voice of a faceless narrator is kind of telling a story about a child getting lost in the woods and almost being sorrowful about being discovered, and she doesn't want to leave the forest. These trees in the scenes are later referenced in the film, but I wanted to get your perspective on the setting of our opening scene. Cole, have you ever seen a redwood tree in person?
2: I have. I've been to California a few times, went to uh, Merwood National Forest, which is beautiful. Redwood trees are, if you've never seen one, Uh, It's similar to like, uh, you know, we got a lot of moose in Alaska and, you know, you have an idea of what a big deer is or a big tree is, right? But until you see one in person, it is you just like you can't comprehend how big a tree could be until you see a redwood in person because it's just like this thing's bigger than my house. Like, yeah, by that, I'd be, like, as wide as a house. Like, it, it makes sense. So what did you think of no the opening sense.
0: scene, then, as we kind of started out in that Redwood Forest?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, it, again, I thought I, I like the Redwood Forest. I think it's cool. I think uh, you could get a lot of cool cinematography shots. I mean, Star Wars took excellent uh, use of the Redwood Forest in the Endor Moon uh, battles <laughs> with the Ewoks. But uh, yes. did, uh, <laughs> did uh, <laughs> this film use it very well? Yeah. Uh, Again, it it didn't pull me in. I mean, like the whole narrator or like what they were talking about didn't make a whole lot of like I don't know, coherent sense to me or like yeah. give me like any real sense of the story or where we were going. And then um the spoiler, the redwood trees don't really mean anything as far as I could tell in terms of uh anything. I don't know. It's just like it was like a pretty cool picture well, and then uh, there was the
0: that- Deforestation angle.
2: Oh yeah, the deforestation. I really thought we were going to go somewhere with that, but uh.
0: yeah, me too. Like we were getting a fern gully thing. But (laughs) there was a lot
2: of things that this film seemed like was leading me where I was like, this could be a good story, and it did not do any of those, (laughs) and instead just did something kind of boring. And its its whole shtick was double exposure, which you mentioned earlier, where it's just like let's just do some like. Pictures on pictures with transparency, man.
0: And it was in the first like 30 seconds of the film. Mm. We get like, immediately like treated like, okay, this is no. this is your artistic lobby. Let's see what yeah. happens.
2: This is this is this All what right. we're going to do. It was 90 yeah. minutes. All right, Eric. I will get yeah, yeah no kidding,
0: right? It was minutes. 90 minutes.
1: Uh. Eric, what did you think it was of the hour opening? Hour 41, I thought. Uh, <laughs> oh, so yeah, what sorry. did I think of the opening? Yeah. Hour 41. Um, <laughs> 11 yeah. minutes over. The. It started out and like uh, I looked up, you know, the genre this is in is a horror film. And so you immediately get the trees Makes uh, no sense. And, and horror drama. I don't know. But yeah. and then you see like the lady in the white gown walking away from the trees. And so I was like, OK, you know, like you're are you going to give me like a little bit of creepiness, a little bit of horror in here? And then it goes into this very, very somber next scene of her basically like euthanizing her mother. But yeah, like. I would say, I guess, overall commentary on the cinematography, it was surprisingly poor for the setting they were in. They were in Eureka, California, Pacific Northwest, which is a beautiful, beautiful like place to probably shoot a movie in. They did not give me enough wide-angle shots, not enough tracking shots. They didn't give me you know, like the landscape shots that I would have wanted uh, or maybe I would have personally done if I was able to shoot in such a beautiful place. And uh, it definitely made the film worse.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about cinematography while we're at it. Seems like a great segue. Cole, what were your thoughts on... I know I already kind of asked you about the Redwoods specifically, but just kind of some of those things that Eric just touched on there with the artistic choices.
2: Um, I felt like it was disjointed in the cinematography, in the choices that they made, because they went... Extremely artsy with the double exposure kind of flashes, some weird on-screen stuff. Um, And I I guess I understand why they did it due to like, you know, the hallucination, the drugs and stuff that was used. But then it would just go to just really long, boring, just like tripod shots of let's put a camera up and you're going to go out there and you're going to pull posts out of the ground or or you're going to we're going to put a camera in the bathroom and you're just going to kind of sit there or or walk somewhere like i don't know it just it felt weird in the way that it the artistic nature of the cinematography didn't really tell much of a story and and was kind of felt like it didn't bridge between scenes like there wasn't a good transition between them it just felt yep. like they filmed a scene thought it looked cool and then they needed forgot they had to tell a story so they go to another scene with dialogue <laughs> tell the story there and then go back to do a cool like artsy like you know 30 second clip kind of thing so that's, that's yeah, that's
1: and the, they like. were going for surrealism in this film like uh I even like read a review saying like it was trying to be Alice in Wonderland in reverse but the cinematography was not good enough to create a surrealist aspect of this film and <laughs> It just felt like very much uh I'm the like scenes of her flying and stuff like that, that's them yeah. going for surrealism. But the camera work, you know, should have also been extremely surrealistic. Like uh we're reviewing um Poor Things next week and like there's I that movie's a bit more on the nose, but even then, like you can tell like the camera, they made conscious choices to yeah. depict uh certain things to make the audience feel a certain way. And this film did not do that with the camera.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Eric, you kind of already mentioned it, but as the scenes progressed, we are then suddenly taken out of the forest and thrown into a scene where we get Kirsten Dunst helping her mother um, in an assisted suicide with some, appears to be uh, poison laced in some marijuana. There was a lot of really close-ups in that scene. It kind of felt me oddly uncomfortable, and maybe that's what they were going for, but it just seemed... Like there was a lot of silent moments and just kind of what we were already talking about, just an attempt at over artistic impression that just didn't really fall for me. So what were your kind of impressions of that first scene after we start realizing kind of what's happening with, um, with her mom and kind of the, the progression of that story? Were you surprised? Was it kind of a predictable progression? Uh, what were your thoughts there, Cole?
2: Well, my first thoughts was I did not realize this was an assisted suicide, to be fair. I thought she was just lacing some marijuana with some LSD to give her mom like a good time and some pain free to get a, you know, essentially like an escapism type thing. Because that's I, I honestly thought that was what was going to happen. And then next thing I know,
0: <laughs> she
2: opens the door and she's dead. <laughs> like, I
0: don't know. Man. It was just
2: like one of those scenes where I had it, like, I thought it was very touching. And like, I think Kirsten Dunn is a fine actress. Like, I don't think. Dunst. Dunst. Yes, Kirsten Dunst is a is a Just fire call it
0: Kristen Dunn for the rest of the night. Just yeah. mess up both of the front and the last <laughs> name. Uh, uh,
2: but yeah, I, I guess I, did, I didn't realize what was happening until the next scene. She's just walking in the house, opens the door, sees an empty bed, and then just immediately falls to the ground and starts like bawling. And I'm like, oh, okay, so she just... Killed her mom.
0: She just offed her mom.
2: Which, like, I, again, yeah. I, I I understand. Like, I mean, I I think it's a good conversation piece and could lead to a good story where it talks about what you know. If your family member or your you know parent or sibling was in pain, there's there's nothing you can do about it, right? Their their existence is is not one that they are happy with. They don't want to continue on this, and you can give them that peace essentially through. Through you know uh, an assisted suicide and then that obviously leads to the rest of the story and I thought that's a very heavy and unique thing that I can't recall being in you know I guess the main driver of a film I mean obviously there's like Grey's Anatomy type you know stuff going on with that but I don't I I, I thought that was unique but uh, it it, it didn't go where I wished it went I guess with the rest of the
0: film. I guess for me, whenever I hear the words, uh, it won't hurt, I always assume that it has to do with with dying in some way or another, Uh, so I guess for me, that my perspective was kind of
1: like, oh. I did think she was about to kill her, but yeah, like she was rolling a joint though, so I'm just like, what could you possibly put lace and weed that will kill somebody that won't hurt them because well, if thought. it's like, poison LSD. that you're gonna you know wretch to death basically and, and i think
0: that so, that actually did a disservice to the rest of the film for me right because yeah, all it definitely. shows is just two drops and it kills this lady and that throughout the rest of the film you don't never explain right yeah. and why kirsten dunce is able to smoke five joints unadulterated and also is why is she fine.
2: the only one with the poison and why is she the poison lady
1: like, yeah, why? Why does well, like, he makes her Keith, the death dealer? I don't Keith, understand. Keith like gives it to her, maybe because uh, Keith is like I a botanist of sorts. I mean, he grows weed and grows other things, right? But it, I but do uh, feel like Keith is to blame for sure. Yeah, well, I think Keith is growing whatever this thing uh, that they're putting on the weed, I guess. he's growing it. But why is but, she forcing uh, her to do I still, it? I don't know, like, can you explain like, or I'm not, I'm not asking you if redundant. done <laughs> it, but like, can you explain <laughs> like, explain what exactly you could put on weed that would immediately kill somebody, or like, just kill somebody and they would no- feel no pain? Like, I... I know this is supposed to be a surrealist film, but I I do need the explanation for this. Oh, cuff, yeah, like is it arsenic or something or something. But like. arsenic, you would still what? Wretch to death. Right? Arsenic,
2: arsenic would be painful. Would be painful. Uh, but yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, just like a little blowfish fish toxin or whatever. You know, a little. Uh, yeah, some, some <laughs> and, like, super, super toxin from common. a fish or something.
0: Yeah, it gets
1: the in. the the way they like introduce euthanasia is a big part of this film. Like yeah. it's mm-hmm. uh you know like a big subject, and it's actually an extremely interesting su- subject. Uh, just fun fact: my mom uh, wrote several stories about Jack Kevorkian in the '90s because she was uh, a journalist for the Detroit Free Press. Wow. Uh, and that was, I just remember growing up, like, no, actually knowing what euthanasia was, like, when I was a little kid. Like, it was such a interesting, like, huge subject at that time. And i they introduced it in this film, but it's really, it's just a, a plot device for our main character to, I don't know, explore her own grief, I guess. I know so. it's a weird segue, but my
0: euthanasia experience as a kid was from the religious side of telling you that it was wrong. That if you had grandparents, that they weren't allowed to, you know ask for death or anything because God mm. doesn't allow suicide because that puts you in hell I know it's, a weird segue but mm-hmm. there you go uh, <laughs> anyway I think we're getting off the rails a little bit but this film certainly didn't do any helps in keeping us on the rails so I'm going to blame that um, Eric we do get some quick jumps and flashes to the woods I know you kind of mentioned it as surrealism uh, but I'm assuming that you didn't really appreciate this artistic touch it was kind of more of a distracting measure by our, our directors to kind of try something that really wasn't there
1: yes definitely uh and I mean we'll talk more about like maybe our theory about the whole film at the end but like it's just like we get random flashes of uh you know the woods and her you know flying in the woods I think there was a few flashes of that her climbing on top of a tree stump this is I guess my more also general critique with our main character Teresa uh is that she has like no personality there's no character development of her I don't like, I'd, I get her mom died, but, you you know, when you're introducing me to a character in the film, you have to give them some personality, something for me to, like, root root for them. Uh, there's nothing given in this film. She just seems like a wet blanket, blank slate of a human, uh, and I have no reason to be like, oh, I feel so bad for you, like, I, what's going on, you know, like, with you. I, I just kind of, like... Okay, so, you know, she killed her mom. Now uh, she she's working at a weed shop, and she's having all these crazy dreams. <laughs> so, oh God, well, <laughs> these crazy dreams. Cole, yeah. what do you think about our wet blanket of a main character?
2: Um, the <laughs> only thing I can think of is, uh, for some reason, so, like, uh, other films have used, uh, I get like, I, I, she, she, why is she just, like, half-naked, All like 90% of the time. Like, right, there's no
1: reason she needs to be in a nightgown (laughs) for half of the just her straight bra. She's like, and then, part of it, she's just a bra. Or
2: she'll be jeans and a bra, but then she'll go into the bathroom and be like in underwear, but then we'll be in the shower in underwear. It's like, it makes no sense. And then it adds like nothing to it, but. She's like in like a weird depressive state, but every scene she's wearing like a new cute bra. And I'm like, I think if we're going to talk about someone being depressed, they're probably just wearing the same thing and they're going to be just like looking miserable and stuff. But they're just like, she's going to be wearing a black lace bra today. Tomorrow it'll be a white lace (laughs) bra. And then she'll stand in the shower for a little bit. Like it. I was trying to figure
1: out nightdress on. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't fit the character. It doesn't make sense. That's the point. I, I completely agree with It's like, I don't mind showing a woman, like, walking around the house in a bra, like, that's yeah. that is realistic, but yeah. for this character, you know, she, she's extremely depressed and so I don't think it fits her character to be, well, in a nightgown half the movie, like, mm-hmm. in a, like, nice laced nightgown or even in a, just, like, a kind of nice like black bra like yeah. it it doesn't really make any sense no. Well,
0: and even you mentioned earlier about the lack of using your surroundings in a good you know setting and scenes like half of this film seems to be filmed just inside the house just over in different rooms of the same mm-hmm. house like when you have these beautiful natural picturesque places maybe we just do a little bit more outside But anyway, we were talking about characters, and we are going to get introduced to our other characters. We've got Teresa's boyfriend, Nick, played by Joe Cole, and he's a logger. That's right, he got a promotion to be a logger, and he's going to cut down the biggest (laughs) tree ever and get questioned by Teresa on why they want to cut the trees down. And there's that. Then we get Keith, and he's a cannabis shop owner, which we find out later. Uh, They're kind of drinking in a bar, and Nick's celebrating a promotion, and, and Keith seems to be drunk and listening to the jukebox. I thought this scene was very intentional for a reason and I don't really know why it was there, but Eric, why do you think the writer and director wanted to include that jukebox cutting off on Keith and him being like upset that the machine ate his money? Like I felt like it was very intentional and I don't really know
1: why. I thought it was just kind of an introduction uh, for, for us to show that this guy's kind of a drunk and he's an angry drunk and he then he goes and kind of uh, teases uh, Nick, the boyfriend, like saying, you know, you're your girlfriend asked me for, you know, some some more uh some work yeah, at, or yeah, like some money or after whatever work or whatever. Yeah. I also, well, I'm reading here like they were trying to make a comment about uh technology about okay, uh according to Laura Malavi, as things get faster and faster with te- technology, we become more and more disconnected from our natural world. It's important to remind ourselves that these trees have been here for thousands of years. Maybe the uh the jukebox cutting out uh, could be a comment on technology failing us. Uh, that's a, a complete reach for me. But, uh, but yeah, like, I mean, that's what I also think. Um, they The one little bit of personality we get from Teresa is uh, her asking her boyfriend, do you ever get sick of tearing it all down like we were just mm-hmm. saying? Like, mm-hmm. maybe that was her trying to comment or... The filmmakers trying to comment well, on well, the thing that um, gets me
0: is according to these uh, two tearing
1: down the natural world. The but, whole yeah.
0: reason this film exists at all was because they were writing a story about the redwood forests. Like that was yeah. what their entire inspiration was. So the trees were kind of like the I couldn't format tell. for everything. And I couldn't tell either yeah. exactly. So if that's what you were going for, a couple close up of some logging machines going and <laughs> your main yeah. character asking her boyfriend one time if he regrets cutting down a tree doesn't establish yeah. shit.
1: Yeah. And I, I think all I got from the jukebox coming out, like, again, though, is Keith is a shady guy. Uh, I get, you know, he's, he's shady as hell. I Him going over to Nick, teasing him, it's like, you can tell there's a past uh, between Keith and Teresa. Uh, that's I think it's introducing those two characters and maybe trying to say, okay, there's a past here, but also these characters aren't developed much more after that. Right. So. Cole, what were your first impressions
0: of these two in this scene?
1: Well... <laughs> I I thought the scene was kind of just silly
2: where, uh, you know, the so guy the guy goes to celebrate promotion, which is great. But the promotion is cutting down a bigger tree, right? Like that's not <laughs> like that's not like a real promotion. That's not that's not like an actual thing. No, <laughs> at least as far as Ca- I'm cut Ca- down a bigger
0: tree. Congratulations. Um,
2: and then, uh, yeah, the whole jukebox thing when he he like kicks it and it starts again. And so like that I was like, OK, so there's like a weird Fonz reference. And this guy's a dick and this other guy is just like, again, Nick was like a wet blanket as well. Like, I feel like I didn't get much from him. And the only thing I got out of that when it shows like him being a logger and stuff was my thought. I'm, I had I had uh, many thoughts about where I thought this was, movie was going to go. It didn't go to any of those places. Um, and I thought <laughs> a good story that they were going to tell was the after, you know, she's like, do you ever feel bad about cutting it down and stuff like that? She had just p- killed her mom, who was in pain. I thought he was going to get in a terrible accident at the logging you know, mill with a true with the big tree that he got the promotion. <sighs> crushing his like lower half of his torso or something where and, he's and
0: she would have had to give him She a would suicide have to kill joint. him and basically oh, like he, he would beg her cool. to kill him so much better and, you really should have wrote this that's movie. where that
2: there that's where this is gonna go and it's gonna go down like the uh, you know big deep tirade of you know that whole emotion nah never does that nick just like disappears for about 30 minutes of the film comes back for about two minutes disappears again I don't quite understand how they even have a I relationship. I clean up your shit in one way. Like and, and I yeah, I I don't understand yeah. why Nick is even in this movie. Cool. Cuz he so, doesn't
0: add anything. The only thing I took away is that it seemed like this film's soundtrack was very like ambient and a lot of like weird noises in the background until it came to scenes that involved uh, Keith, like that jukebox where he seemed to be having music playing around him when he was in the dispensary or just his character had a s- assigned music almost. And it was kind of like, why, why are we doing that? Is he more attuned to music because he's a weed dealer? I, I don't know. But I, I thought it was kind of out of place and I wasn't really sure what they were going for there. But anyway... We, uh, the film's progressing and we start to see that Teresa has processed or is trying to process the fact that she just killed her mom, right? She's slowly returning to normal life activities, going back to work. And it turns out that Teresa works at the same dispensary that Keith does. And this is used as a plot vehicle for kind of the rest of the film. I took partial notes to some of the dialogue that was happening in some of these early scenes and how just God awful it was. It didn't do a good job of setting up any of the characters relationships to me. And I really think that it was cringy and half-baked in almost every aspect. But the dialogue especially just had moments where I was like, what are you talking about? Guys, did you have anything you wanted to toss in on the dialogue for better or for worse on some of these scenes and why it was probably written this way, or if there was any sensible reason as to why?
1: really bad screenplay uh yeah there there's like we're saying with all the characters they have no personality and applying personality to your characters comes through the screenplay and giving them like at least a little like some witty dialogue maybe a sense of humor here or there or you know in this case when you're exploring a more serious subject like maybe you know have them making like some deep like philosophical points or something about what what they're doing like the euthanasia that they're doing i guess uh (laughs) But we we don't get much from that. We don't get personality from these people at all. Keith, uh, he's a douche. That's you know that's his personality. That's the biggest yep. personality we have in the film, and he's not enough of a a villain like I think that they're trying to make him out to mm. be. Uh, to really like create a good central conflict in this film either.
0: Especially when we get to the fucking final scene, but that's not even yeah. where we're at yet. <laughs> and I'll yeah. wait for that. Um, Yeah, so that was kind of what we were talking about with that. So we are continuing this plot, and at this point, we're already kind of describing the whole movie, so you might as well keep going. There's not a whole lot to it, but we soon get introduced to an elderly gentleman named Ed, who comes into Keith and Teresa's dispensary. It's clear he's looking for the same help in committing suicide with poison, just as Teresa's mom and we then get introduced to johnny and we get to go to johnny's house and hear some more crappy dialogue as they're sitting on a on a port party and keith encourages them to get their dick sucked or whatever the hell ended up happening that whole scene again was terrible why are we introduced to johnny does it matter outside of the twist that we get to shortly cole what did you think of that whole scene and johnny's party and just all of that nonsense
2: I mean, that party seemed pretty lame. Not going to lie. If I was at that party, I probably wouldn't call it a party. I'd probably more just call it like a gathering and there's just one douchebag. Also, so here's (laughs) – all right. Are they prostitutes or are they Right. Like I, I don't know. I, I, tra- I was was I have like, no clue. He
1: I, just says, I've got two girls that want to suck her cocks. That's he what, just that's says it very loud said. and, and yeah. that's what
2: that's what I was like. I, I I was trying to figure out if Keith was running like basically like a back alley prostitution and that's where like um our main character, Teresa, like that's where she gets her extra cash from, is was like working for him. Or something like that, and they're at a party, and, such he's a girls, and he's got other girls, and he's like, he's, but I, none of it really pans out. Nothing gets explained, and the dialogue is all terrible, Um and Johnny is just a, a faceless, like, young kid that isn't a douchebag that, you know, gets killed, and there we're we supposed
0: go. to feel bad about it, right? Face like, of innocence. There
1: it is. There, he's there for the plot twist to exactly. send Teresa down a downward spiral Which, to start doing more hallucinogens. And yeah. Let's talk about yep. the plot twist. Oh my gosh. Was it a gosh. twist? So,
2: was it really? It was a twist. It was, was a it, twist, right? I, 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 I would say it was oops. pretty, pretty like uh, like on point of like, yeah, that's definitely gonna happen. And then it happens. <laughs> and my favorite part my favorite part about this movie is Teresa's reaction when uh Ed comes back and it's like it didn't work, and she's just like Man, that's so weird. And then God, what? Uh, I didn't even, do that. <laughs> doesn't even think about how Johnny was there at the exact same time. How she yeah. gave two people two jars at the exact same. Literally nothing. No emotion. Just like that's so weird. Goes to sleep, and then when they like tell her that he died, she's just like, how.
0: Right, so like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my, no, I, I'm 100% with you. You know
1: what? I, Kirsten Dunst is a good actress, too. Yeah. Like, I, that's what pains me, too. Uh, like, I've seen her that, in so many good films. And yeah. it's rumored that Geicides, she prepared for
0: a year for this role. Like, she was an executive producer on this project, childhood friends with the two directors, uh,
2: and well, there, prepared explains. this for
1: an entire child year. childhood friends with them?
0: Wow. That yeah, explains, she said that, that she why, knew him since she why was 20 here. or whatever. <laughs> why did this happen? Yeah, no, that's exactly why it happened in the first mm. place. Though. That's exactly why. <laughs> was... yeah, all
1: I know about the directors is that they started a, a fashion line called Rodarte in 2005, and then they did some costuming for Black Swan, which is an amazing oh. film. And, and starring so guessing...
0: not Kirsten. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, and then you know, okay, Kirsten Dunst was uh, executive producer, so she oh, was probably Black like, Swan? all right, no, 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 on, oh, on this, this film, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm guessing she was just like, all right, I'll green light a movie for you. And they had no prior experience to making films, it seems like. Which so. is very obvious. Yeah. Very, yeah. very <laughs> obvious. All right. Uh, let's see. So Ed
0: and uh, the confusion about Ed and he's dead. No, Ed didn't die. Johnny, Johnny. died. That's right. Oh, so Johnny. as the story progresses, it's revealed, just like we said, that guess what? Johnny got accidentally killed and someone feels guilty about it. Now, I did find this kind of interesting. So this kind of happens right at the halfway mark of the film, like directly halfway through, she finds out that this has happened. And it kind of changes Teresa, right? At this point, it's now all about her journey into craziness and to her grief and denial and drug use. Was this effective I mean, was this at even a small positive? I mean, we've kind of been writing this down at this point. I guess for me, it was a division in the film, so it kind of made a little bit more sense from that perspective. But it overall still wasn't overly effective. Guys, any thoughts on the pacing or the way that they uh, put this up from a timeline perspective? Uh,
2: I I think the pacing was bad
0: because
2: it um, like that, <laughs> that 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 Damn. that twist. I felt like like you said, happened right in the middle of the film. That should have happened right before, like right at the the peak, like towards the yep. back half, like the, the the you know, where you're getting close to like the crescendo. Um, or if you're a, a good director or have like a really strong screenplay, it's in like the front or like the middle where like the big crescendo or the big like part of the film happens at an un specified time that you're not used to. And then a very unique story story trails on from there with where it gets even more you like crazy and, and something else happens. That didn't happen in this film. It it happened right in the middle. That was the big reveal and the big reveal was not that big. Like I said, uh Teresa, her reaction was just like, how did how did this happen? And and the guy Keith is literally telling her how it happened and she's just like I, it, no there's like just no way it could have happened there's one more absolute, time how did it happen? yeah no yeah. way <laughs>
0: uh
2: and then it Ugh. just it i don't it just it felt in it, it felt weird and i just didn't think it it just it, the pacing just didn't make sense also this film like what when that happened I like just before that I had like looked at the timeline, and when you when you're watching a movie and you click to see how much longer it is, it's never a good sign. Never. A good and time, I no. did that thirty minutes into this film, and this film is barely over an hour <laughs> and a half. So like I was thirty minutes in, and I was already like, "How far along are we?" And I was like, "Good lord, I got an hour."
0: Shit.
1: <laughs> it's it was at the hour and four minute mark when she finally puts down those four joints, and then she decides to like. Put the hallucinogenic stuff on it, but okay. so right, it's where's killing other people. But she can smoke it, right? Yeah, we're so grinder. But like, it's an hour four minutes when she finally Asking starts like cool. going into the woods, hallucinating, doing crazy stuff like putting up fence posts. Uh, yeah, like in her nightgown. Uh, why is that a thing that you do it, when so, you hallucinate, Eric? But, do, what, what do you think she meeting? was trying to kill herself? What, do you think uh, that's what she supposed, was doing?
2: Well,
1: no, I don't think so. I think she oh. was
0: well. I mean, if Ah. she puts poison in all five joints, I mean, that kind of seems like
1: a I'm going to kill myself thing. But But she keeps waking up and, like, doing it again, so I think she knows how much she's putting in. Well, well, I think she knows how much she's putting in, and she's not killing herself. I think she wants to hallucinate. And she's never
2: made, like, more than one joint or, like, for anyone else that's died, right? So she makes multiple. So does she think that, like, why would you make multiple instead of just dumping it all into one joint, right? If you want to
1: kill yourself...
0: Just put it all in one It was so intentional. Joint. Like, what What the fuck was that? Because you wanted the visual of five joints on the floor? Like, congratulations, <sighs> you got a shot.
1: I felt like the allure of the hallucinations was why she kept doing it. Uh, not because she just wanted to kill herself, but, like, you know, but there's not enough explanation of this this uh, thing that she's putting on the joints that is she's also using to euthanize other people. There's not yeah. enough explanation. Right, which, which is, is, is why it escape, would- But it also kills people? Like, what the fuck yeah, is this which thing? Which is
2: why it would have made sense that she did LSD at the beginning with her mom to give her mom escape from the pain. And then if you add it take it with this scene, she's trying to escape from the pain of like, you know, all this depression and stuff, but instead she just kills her mom and but now it's LSD or something and she's going on trips and building fences for no goddamn reason. <laughs> like, just, I don't know.
0: So we're all in agreement that these trips were not really effective from a cinematic standpoint, right? They really didn't do anything to really show no. us that she was doing other things other than showing her feet leave the ground Maybe yeah. a little bit. And at the She's end, just, she, they tried to have like a witch moment where she ascends into the sky. But that clearly look at what you wasn't did. even look good. Look at what
1: you did out there. I'm not cleaning it up for you. <laughs> right. It was
0: such a shit scene. The dialogue was terrible. The acting was bad. Like, and all of a sudden, we get this, this why final is that his response? End. Yeah. Like, like, exactly. <laughs> I clean this up for you. Why, like, like, I'm going to go cut I some shit like down.
2: I feel like the person I love or care about... fucking in the middle of the night tears out a bunch of boards and starts putting them in the ground and so i'd be like there's something wrong like we need to address this instead he's just like i can't believe you made a mess like you didn't do the dishes or something like come on if you're gonna you know cook a bunch of pasta don't leave it sitting (laughs) in there for a week at the sink okay
1: yeah this actor the boyfriend he's his name's joe cole he was in green room he was reese He's been in Black Mirror, and he was also in Peaky Blinders. He was John mm-hmm. Shelby in Peaky Blinders. Yep. Um, so really good actor. Kind of wasted on this film. They with didn't give him a character anything. with very, yeah, very few lines. Especially for a film that was supposed to be cruxality. about the forest
0: and being like the logger. You would think he would yeah. have something more to him, but terrible. So anyway, this fight that we're referencing basically happens where Teresa hallucinates pounding a bunch of posts into the ground and then breaks them boyfriend's not happy. Anyway, they get in a fight, and Teresa keeps smoking more poison joints. Eventually gets sick, and goes, hangs out with Keith, and Keith's kind of like, hey, what's going on? You probably are feeling a little guilty about killing your mom, right? And she's like, no, I wouldn't do that. And then, completely out of effing nowhere, she starts burning herself with an iron, stabbing herself with a knife. Then Keith tries to stop her, and... She murders Keith in cold blood by bludgeoning (laughs) him to death with the iron. Like, what the fuck? This scene was absolutely out of fucking nowhere. For the rest of this film that was already bad, then to do something like this was insane. I mean, I'm literally, like, jaw dropped on the floor. Like, what am I watching as she's slowly beating this man to death with a fucking hot iron? (laughs) Like, why? Someone tell me why. Please.
1: Please. Okay, so, well, theory about the whole film, I think this was all a dream. Uh, I think she did kill, euthanize her mother, and then the ending is, like, this kind of montage, like, okay, kills her, or or she kills uh, Keith, montage of, like, the woods and, like, all this shit she did the whole film, and then it's, like, a close-up of her eyes waking up. And so I feel like this whole film was just a dream uh, after she killed her mother and the dream was like exploring her grief and it was supposed to be surrealist, like I said, but like it's yeah, it puts you too much in reality to give me that feeling. And it's yeah, it's I don't know, man, it was not well done. So
0: you're you're referencing overarching themes as if there's some sort of yeah. like bigger, deeper meaning to this whole thing.
1: Cole, grief, do yeah.
0: we have a theme? <laughs> do we have a reason? Give me um, your big brain I, I will say my
2: big grandiose thing is this film, I think, was one of the few films that made me feel bad for, like, the guy that was set up to be the absolute, like, asshole dipshit. And he, and he just gets, like, murked by her for really just trying Nothing. to essentially be a, a almost <laughs> kind of a friend. Like, he t- he almost turns a corner is, like, trying to help her and she's just fucking kills him and it's like man like that guy sucked but murder that's kind of that that pretty bad there like there's no there's no neat reason for that but yeah oh oh, the overarching stories i guess like a weird roundabout way about grief and you know how the earth is grieving because of all the deforestation that we're doing but uh I, I mean, the only reason I knew that or I guess came to that conclusion was because Eric told me that they made this about trees. Like, if you didn't say that, I would just say this is just a very poorly done film about grief and, you know, assisted suicide. But it doesn't explore any of the interesting or like thought provoking aspects of it. Right. And is just a cheap version.
0: Like Im- yeah. some people just, say this film deals with the themes of grief and the fragility of the human mind. Like, no. Yeah. Okay. Or, like, why the use of mind-altering substances are our central element to the story. Like, where the fuck does that come into play? I thought this drug Uh, killed people, not made
1: you trip through the woods. Like, fucking figure it out. I think a good way... Uh, A way that this film could have been good is if they just went full surrealist and kind of put her on an odyssey through the Redwood Forest. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think of a film called Dead Man by Jim Jarmusch, uh, which I saw a few years ago. And that's like, it's Johnny Depp, uh, Iggy Iggy Pops in it, like there's a lot of cool actors in it. A lot of the film is very surrealist, but him journeying through like the, the west and you know the woods and through you know just doing this awesome journey through nature and I feel like if they just went full surrealist full acid trip in this then it could have been a lot better and it would have forgiven maybe some of the lack of personality and character development that our main character has but they didn't do that they grounded us in the dispensary uh scenes and the party scenes and they grounded us way too much for it to be a true surrealist film. Yeah, absolutely cool. What do you think? I was going to say uh
2: like a better version of this film is uh Mandy with Nick Cage where Mandy's baby, great. Like it's super surrealism, like super just like techno druggy, like wood-fueled, like mindfuck, but it's such a it's such a good movie and it's kind of and it's also about essentially grief, right? And and his like that whole thing, but way better in every aspect and it's got Nick Cage, so I watched that movie. Voice of a generation.
0: (laughs) So that's all I need to know, guys. Is there really anything else we need to talk about this
1: film? I mean, it. No, uh, and I was going to mention, you know, this film had a five million dollar budget and made forty three thousand dollars, forty (laughs) three (laughs) thousand six hundred eighty two dollars. So it premiered at the Venice Film Festival, and uh, it also screened at cons. Oh no, it it, uh, it screened at cons and A24 bought the rights to it back in 2015 when they were a much smaller nah, film company. It really does feel like a personal favor to
0: Kirsten Dunst. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. and like, then hey.
1: it had its world premiere uh, at the Venice Film Festival, then it received a limited release at, on September 22nd, 2017. So you can kind of see they probably bought the rights to it and they're like they then they were just like fuck, we actually have to put this film out after they yeah. won best picture for Moonlight, right? <laughs> and then yeah. they're just like all right, and this is definitely the worst film I think we've watched this year in my opinion uh, in the 2017 year of A24 because at least I think if not yeah we've we've gotten like to points where or to a point in all the films they're releasing they have like at least a grade of C for me like I I feel like I haven't graded something below a C minus this year yeah yeah yeah. and this film 2017 you said it starts Yeah. yeah I didn't like Black Coat's Daughter that much
0: but that wasn't terrible that yeah, at least has like some, so you, you know, well, that's good that's stuff I think going reach for it. Right? Yeah. Do you think Free Fire fits into that category of well of dis- not great? reviews? you like Free Fire? Well, no, I'm right? no, no, saying. Right. So we talked earlier right. in the beginning about films that are not widely reviewed well, but sometimes they oh. are good films.
1: And yes. like Free, Fire Free Fire came up to had. me. Is
0: it is it well is it well reviewed?
1: Yeah, it still had. Uh, it's, it's, a 70% Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was close. It's just, I mean, so, we so, all okay. The, so, that
2: unknown film, I think, is more of what Free The fighters.
1: Lovers and Trespass Against Us might be the other two this mm. year that were not... Lovers we didn't like bad. as much, but... Lovers yeah, bad. Lovers wasn't this, great. This was... This was worse. This was definitely no, no, doubt. Was no, no, no doubt. This was definitely yeah. worse. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> this even was like amateur filmmaking and it, it reminds me of some of the earlier films we watched like Barely Lethal yeah. or even Revenge I mean, of the Green, Green Dragons. Dragons. You yeah.
0: you briefly mentioned it earlier, but like mm-hmm. these two all they had was a history and fashion. And then they yep. wrote a screenplay because they felt like it and then they knew an actress in Hollywood and they're like, Hey, you can make a film and mm-hmm. here's <laughs> what we get. Not mm-hmm. good.
1: <laughs> yep, and pays to have rich friends, I guess. It really but, does. It yeah. really does pay to have rich friends. <laughs> no. I mean, honestly. I've been looking. And have have they done anything you since this?
0: That's, let's look it up. Have they done anything since then? Probably no, I don't now. think so. No. Yeah, so really, could. because they co-designed costumes for Black Swan, and Black Swan was mm-hmm. good, and they're friends they got with her. to do whatever they wanted to after yeah. that.
1: And they're friends with Kirsten Dunst. And they're friends and, with Kirsten Dunst. Yeah.
0: Alright guys, I think this means we need to review this like officially put our grades on it because I ain't got no more questions for you and we're just spinning our wheels on how not so fantastic this was. So who wants to go first?
1: Anybody? Um, Anybody? I guess I can go first. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're up Eric, give um, us your review. Well I've said before that there was... Uh, Very little to no character development in this film, Uh, and there are good actors in here. They were just, you know, given a horrible script. This might have been some of the worst uh, screenwriting in an A24 film that I have seen so far. And the whole, like, idea of this film, exploring things like euthanasia and um, just kind of nature being torn down and replaced with technology, it... It could have been good, like, if the subjects are there to explore, but they just did that, they explored it so poorly and underserved those subjects so poorly that it makes the film, like, even more of a insult, I would say, that it was released, and I, I feel bad because I know that, you know, two people probably did uh, put a ton of time into writing and making this film, and they got $5 million to kind of, they, they end up just pissing it away, so... Uh, I, I feel bad that that happened, uh, that this even happened in the film world, but um, I, I'm sorry that I, I just have to give it an F, and I, there's not much more to say. Like The themes were just so underserved, and the cinematography was so bad, and there was no space for the actors to work, and uh, it it was definitely just a waste of a film.
0: All right, then. I'm going to jump in right after this. In my opener, I listed off the fact that there are 142 current A24 films. Out of those 142, there's bound to be some bad ones. Not everything's going to be good. Sorry, folks. You probably know this already if you're following on our journey. So this one, not great. We couldn't really hide it from the very opening all the way through to where we are right now. Every kind of uh, inclining of this podcast has been towards the negative on this film, and there's really not much that can do to redeem it. We've tried. We've honestly tried to look up and down, and there really isn't a whole lot to it. Performances, not fantastic. Again, not their fault. Just they weren't giving anything. Writing, awful. Dialogue, terrible. Stylistic choices were all over the board. Maybe if they would have committed to one versus several of the other ones, they would have had something. Uh, even with uh, such a beautiful scenery as uh, the Pacific Northwest, they just they just didn't do it, and it's unfortunate. But it is what it is. Um, This film, you are probably listening to this podcast because you're on this A24 journey. Congratulations, you finished it. Now get ready for the next one. Uh, It's not really worth giving too much time or effort to. Uh, Even with the themes um, as convoluted as they are, it doesn't give you much to hold on to. Each scene is forgettable. Uh, Each scene does not connect well with each other. Um, These random flashbacks and artistic shots and drug trips while intentional, probably because it's supposed to be some sort of representation of a lucid dream or of some sort of psychosis or LSD trip or poison weed, whatever you want to call it. It just doesn't come across as anything other than uh, a slog and uh, an exhaustive attempt at cinema. So uh, I don't think I'll recommend it for anyone to watch. Uh, I feel like if you are watching this, you probably have to. <laughs> Not because you really want to see any of it, um, which is unfortunate. But it, it is probably okay that every once in a while we get some of these films in the A24 library because it allows us to uh, give a, a critical eye to an otherwise uh, a beautiful production company, which we have come to love and why we do this podcast at all. So every once in a while you're probably going to get a turd in there. So, uh, like Eric, it's getting an F, but I'm going to give it an F plus just for the sake of, I don't know, being a little different. So, we don't have the same exact grade, but it pretty much represents the same thing. Terrible. Not so good. Fail. Cole, bring us home.
2: Yeah. um, You know, I didn't like this movie either, guys. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. Uh, This movie was boring. It was lame. It was like did weird artsy stuff to like again it 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 reminds me of what you would see at like a, a film school or like even like a community college film school where they're like a person is just wants to be like way too artsy and then they show you the film and you're like this sucks and they're like Yo, you just don't get it <laughs> well yeah we don't get it, it like none <laughs> of this makes sense you're it was incoherent the dialogue was boring and drab and like so forgetful, um, and you had like you had five million dollars in like some good actors to be a part of this film, and you made something just uh, so uh, almost like depressing in how uh I, I don't know I like I don't want to be like super negative, but at the same token, I mean, there's a reason why they never made another film, right? <laughs> like I don't think that's their forte i think um you know they everyone has their thing and like i don't think i would ever necessarily be a, a great director either but i'm not uh <laughs> but you could do five million that, dollars right? to do it and uh <laughs> man this was hard it this was definitely one of the harder films to like sit through and and you know when we do these have been the most reviews. boring
1: film we've watched Yes, more boring than the Revenge of the Green Dragons are yes. uh, barely lethal for sure. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean those were really so, cringy and bad, but at least there was something they were trying
0: to do to keep you entertained. This was yeah. just slow and plotting and boring mm-hmm. and, and nothing yeah. at all. Yeah,
2: it, it just holds your attention
0: until the very last scene where they're bludgeoning someone <laughs> to death with a fucking iron, which <laughs> no, totally but, out of nowhere. <laughs> no, it
2: it like it. It was a struggle. I mean, like if this was by far the hardest film where I just was counting down the seconds. And when we're doing this podcast, I try and, you know, I wanna give it my full attention. So I'm trying not to be on my phone. I'm trying not to, you know, multitask. I wanna I wanna give it a fair shot, but man
0: was this. One but you knew just, so early in this film that it wasn't gonna just be good. So Right? Yeah
2: just knew right away. So bad. So I mean I, it's an F twenty four. I there's not much else we can say about it. This is one that you should not watch unless you're, you know, maniacs like us and wanna <laughs> <laughs> wanna get into it. You'll, you know, and, and I, I guess this is the the cross we bear, so to speak. We get to see a lot of really amazing films that I would have never watched or, or like even known about. Uh, but when you dive into stuff like that, you're gonna you're gonna find the bad ones, and you're just going to have to work your way through it. Thankfully, listeners, uh, you don't have to uh, do it necessarily. You could move on. Uh, Hopefully, there's not many more of these.
1: Question. So, like, what timeline do we think this was in? Because there was landlines everywhere.
2: No idea. No idea. I don't even know how long. If it's
1: supposed to be a modern-day film, they would have had cell phones, right? I I would think. But also, what? Yeah. How
2: long did this movie? Like, what period of time? When was did
0: weed like, become recreational in California? <laughs> I, I uh, ever,
1: forever? No, no, like late it late
0: nineties, early two thousands, right? Uh, no, later.
1: Yeah, was, yeah,
0: later than that. I was gonna oh, say uh, like, it was medical. Late two thousands. <laughs> anyway, that's what they were going for. In my opinion, yeah. it was probably right when California had decriminalized. Two
1: thousand sixteen was when they got it was legalized. So they had a dispensary. It, there was a legal dispensary in town, so it had to have been 2016 or 17. Yep, there you go, and that's what they were <laughs> yeah, going Medical marijuana us. probably happened a little bit before that. But so like, the landline thing was yeah. stupid, uh, just like yeah, everything like else. Yeah, like there was no reason they had landlines. And then, okay, there was, like, uh, Keith was, like, people were wearing flannels, right? But I felt like Johnny was wearing a very 70s getup, and there was some, like, mm-hmm. 70s costuming in this film. So it felt like it was trying to be in another time, and maybe that would have been a comment on, like, you know, technology destroying nature or whatever. And but killing the jukebox. It, yeah, but, like, <laughs> then they had a, a legal weed dispensary, which means it would have been in modern times. So it doesn't make any sense that uh, they had landlines everywhere, too. Especially since she slept right next to the phone, so she could yeah. know, yeah. call
0: immediately. How convenient. <clears throat> Dumb. All right. <laughs> Cole, I'm sorry to interrupt your... your Review no, earlier. I, I feel like this movie's just to the point no, where F twenty
2: four man. I like. I'm done. I'm over this. <laughs> right. How about I've already guys? Have you made it this better. far,
0: thank you. Please rate and review. Subscribe. Comment on why you think this film is good, but probably not. Probably to comment on how it's bad. <laughs> uh, thanks for sticking around, and we will see you in the next one. Bye
1: bye bye bye. Like
0: what the fuck.